to minister to us. Wesley is gifted with words and especially words of encouragement and so you always have, I think it's Bishop who said last week that you he seasons his words with salt he doesn't add salt but he seasons them thank you pastor for that generous introduction uh, I've been given the great challenge of taking us through the book of Esther a very, very rich book, but we have only three sessions. So you can imagine the frustration of what to say and what not to say. But uh, we will say what the Lord would have us here this day. And so let's open our hearts and our minds so that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. This is one of the books that I have personally greatly benefited from and many times when I am discouraged uh, it's one of the books I go back to uh, to just get encouragement on what God can do and so I want to trust that as we go through this book together we are going to be encouraged in our walk with the Lord and especially at this time when we are celebrating uh, God's goodness over the years I have entitled this series the invisible hand. The invisible hand. And I will be letting you know why in a short while. But first I want to just uh, give us a brief uh, background to the book of Esther. The good thing about Bible exposition is that it is not preaching. It is reading and studying God's word. And sometimes it is important that before you read and study God's word, especially in a book study, you get to know a bit about the book because it gives you insights into some of the things that you are reading and are written in that book. Many believe that the book of Esther reports actual events. But it's written like a short story, almost like a parable. But it's a story of actual events. The main characters in this book are King Xerxes of Persia, his wife Vashti, and then his other wife, Esther, His second in command, Haman, who had just been recently promoted by the king. And then there is Mordecai, a leader of the Jewish community, who was scattered across Persia, but was, he was now serving in King Zasa's uh, kingdom. In an attempt to stamp out the Jews, Haman manipulates the king to sign a decree calling for their extermination. But Esther uses his, her royal favor and position to intervene and in a dramatic twist and turn of events, Haman ends up being hanged in the very gallows that he had built. For Mordecai. A decree that was issued to exterminate the Jews is turned around and a new decree is issued for the Jews to exterminate their enemies. It's a great story of God's miraculous deliverance for his people. For centuries, Many have debated the question of who wrote the book of Esther. The Jewish historian Josephus claimed it was written by Mordecai, but many people dispute this because Mordecai is mentioned in the past tense in the final chapter of the book. 
And so it is not very clear who actually wrote this particular book. But it is said that it must have been written some 20 years after King Xerxes. Now, the book is a very valuable historical book because it gives a view of the Jews in diaspora and how God was able to protect them, favor them in a very hostile environment. Many of us find ourselves in situations that are very similar to this. And this book would be a great encouragement for us to know that God is able to deliver his people. The book of Esther is a major chapter in the struggle of the people of God to survive in the midst of this hostile world. But we see that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God is at work amongst his people. The book of Esther shows how God keeps his promise. He prom made a promise to Abraham. He renewed it with Isaac. He renewed it with Jacob. And he continues to renew it even in our days. And so this book is a great encouragement for us. What is interesting though is that this book like the book of Ruth, you will see very little Almost nothing mentioned about God. And yet, as you read it, you cannot fail to see the hand of God. And that's why I've titled this series, The Invisible Hand. Because you do not see it, but you sense it. You feel it. You see its effects and its impact. The writer gives us a lot of detail about individuals, about times. This is one of the books where detail is given sometimes almost irrelevantly. You know, dates, names. And that's why many people therefore believe that it was a historical book and those who read it when it was first produced could identify those people could identify those places that are mentioned, knew what was happening. And so as we read this book together, let us, this is not theory. This is not pie in the sky, you know, that we used to encourage ourselves when life here on earth is difficult. This is a story of real events that took place showing us what God can do. It is clear from the reader of this book that even in the most basic activity of man, God is superintending. And so, this is the invisible hand. Today I want us to begin by looking at God's invisible hand in demotions and promotions. God's invisible hand in demotions and promotions. We'll look at chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Esther. Father, we want to come before you at this time. And as we delve into the writings of your Holy Spirit, I pray that the same Spirit that inspired these words to be written will now make them alive in our hearts. The Lord, we will hear from you, speaking to us personally, individually, in Jesus' name. Amen. The story begins with a celebration. A great celebration like the one we are set, set to do during this week. King Xerxes had a great display of his riches and, and fame. And according to chapter 1, verse 4, for 180 days, not one week, one celebration. <laughs> 100 
and 80 days. That's half a year of celebration. He displayed his wealth and his kingdom and the splendor and the glory of his majesty. The details given show that the king's desire was to lower his guards. You know, kings live a very organized life. I mean, there is nothing you can do for yourself. You have to be told when to rise, when to sit, when to go out, when to come back. If people told you that kings enjoy free freedom, you are deceived. Because you cannot just walk around anywhere. I remember one time when our president uh, just took over, President Kibaki. He used to go for meetings and would come back even in the night. Eight o'clock in the night. And people got very jittery. How can the president be traveling around at, at night? And so I think his people organized him. So that now he does not travel at night. That's what the life of a king is all about. You don't just go to the toilet. You have to be, you have to be escorted to go to the toilet. But King Zaxa seems like he took 180 days. And he said, now forget about everything. Let's just be ourselves. Let's rejoice and enjoy ourselves. This land is ours that God has given us. I don't know whether he knew God. But he just wanted to enjoy himself. And for 180 days, there was celebration across the kingdom. The details given show that he just wanted to have his friends, his nobles, his guests. And in verse 8, the king also allowed total freedom to everybody in order for them to enjoy themselves without any let or hindrance. As was the practice in the culture, the women held a separate party under the wise leadership of Queen Vashti. And they too enjoyed themselves. Though the details of this are not given to us, one can only imagine that this was an equally glorious display. If men could display, what about women? Brothers, and uh, you know that uh, we are not so good at displaying. But when women decide to display, they do it. And so I can imagine that that was another display of splendor of the women. And as I read this, I realized that one of the things that we Africans are beginning to lose is this kind of celebration. You know, the African culture is intertwined with celebrations. We look for every excuse to have a party. Every excuse. So, even a marriage is a whole process of party after party after party. By the time two little people get married, the other people have enjoyed themselves so much. <laughs> At their expense. <laughs> Whether it is to go and negotiate, there's a party. Whether it is go to take the girl, there's a party. And now it is the time for the parents to come, there's a party. The parents of the other side are to go, there's a party. And there's always a party somewhere. I think we are losing it now. Some of you, you know, I come from where funerals are great parties. When somebody dies, we know there is a party. And some of you want to deny us that great opportunity. You don't know what African life is all about. It is about partying, celebrating. And I get great encouragement because from Genesis to Revelation, one of the things that God has put in place is partying. The first commandment was, thou shalt eat. <laughs> and thou shalt not eat. That was the first commandment. 
And the Bible tells us it ends with a party in heaven. The great supper of the Lamb. Where we shall all be gathered and celebrate the Lord's goodness. Parting is part of God's goodness. The preacher says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 18 to 19. Then I realized that it is good for a man to eat and drink. And to find satisfaction in its toilsome labor under the sun. During the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. Ask people who have wealth and riches and yet they cannot eat anything. The doctor says no salt, <laughs> no, no sugar, no meat, no fat, no this. And so, is the other people who are enjoying your wealth? Now, unakula, no salt, unfried vegetables. I tell you, when God gives you opportunity to enjoy, please enjoy while you can do it. This is a gift from the Lord. That's what the preacher said, and he had a lot of wealth. There is therefore something commendable about what the king was doing. Throwing these lavish people for the people of his kingdom. One does not have to be rich to enjoy God's riches and blessings. As I've said, traditional Africans developed within their lifestyles great opportunities for formal and informal times of partying and feasting. And this greatly enhanced social bonding. And as we have lost that, we have become individualistic. Every man for himself. Every woman for himself. Even in homes, there are families where the man eats in the bedroom, and the woman eats in the kitchen, and the children eat in the TV room. And there is no bonding. But in the midst of this celebration... There are some things that we need to learn. First, I said there is an invisible hand with demotions and promotions. And the first thing we see here is the king's humiliation. You notice that I've not been reading a lot of scripture because you are to read this in advance. We are doing 10 chapters in three days. We can't read it. So please read in advance. Mine is to highlight the story. The king's party was geared towards a well-organized climax to take place on the seventh day. Verse 10 says that on the seventh day, when the king was in high spirits from wine, he commanded that Queen Vashti be brought before him wearing the royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles because she was beautiful to look at. The king wanted finally to just bring his wife and say, let somebody say, my wife. And so she, he sent for the queen. But the king was in for a rude shock. When the queen received the king's command, she refused to oblige. And the Bible records in verse number 12 of chapter 1. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. How did the king take this? Verse 12b says, then the king became furious and burned with anger. Ladies, if you want to experience the wrath of a man, embarrass him in public. You will know what your man is made of. Here is a man, not just a man, but the king with all his dignitaries 
And he has told them, you people, you say you have wives. You have never seen mine. You have not seen my wife. Let me now call her and you will see that God really took time to make this woman. And so he sends orders, please tell Queen Vashti to come. And the word comes back, she has refused. <laughs> eh, 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 eh. Let me not go there. And so Queen Vashti refused to come. This is the first humiliation we see in scripture. And I'm going to come back to it. The next one we see what happens to Vashti. Her great demotion. Now a queen can only remain a queen at the king's pleasure. Do you agree with me? You do not disobey the king and remain the queen. So basically, Vashti had set up herself for great demotion. And so, the king, the Bible says, after his wrath had subsided, he invited his people, his advisors, and asked them, what, in verse 17, 16, from verse 13 to 14, he seeks counsel. What do you think should be done according to the law? There was a man there who is a very wise man in verse 16. Then Memukan, and there are Memukans among us, replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong. Not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and all the people of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands and say, Ah, even King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but and she would not come. So, sasa ni nani? And so in verse 18, this very day, the Persian and the Median women of nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord in our kingdom. Memukan spoke the words that were in the lips of every man. Verse 19, he goes on. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media which cannot be repealed that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. And every man said, Amen. <laughs> if you thought these things started with us, they were there a long time ago before Christ. And so Vashti was demoted and dethroned with a circular to all the provinces. I wish time would allow us to go into details, but we do not. Memukan points out that Queen Vashti has set a bad example. A bad example in the kingdom. And every woman now will use her as a reference point and say, if Vashti could do that, surely, even me, I can do it. Now, Vashti is then removed from her position. We have no evidence that she was thrown out of the palace. But at least we know that from that time she was not allowed 
to go to the king's presence. Now, Vashti's this, uh, demotion has several lessons for us. One is that pride comes before a fall. God's gifts can only be enjoyed at his pleasure. Otherwise, his invisible hand can bring about serious demotions. Memukan says in verse 19, also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. As I read this, especially someone else better than she, I realized that scripture is full of so, such replacements where those people who have been called by God have refused to carry out that which God is calling them to do. And their positions have been given to someone else better than themselves. I'll give you a few examples. When Moses complained about the workload and the stubbornness of the people, and said, this your people. And he said, this Lord is too much for me. Those of you who are in our conference in 2005 may remember Dr. Kani telling us that God immediately told Moses to select 12 people, one from each tribe. And he distributed the authority that Moses had to the 12. From that on, Moses' stature in the eyes of the people diminished. That's when even his own sister said, Kwani, you are the only one who hears from God. See, even us, we can hear. That is the time when people would rebel against him because his authority had been distributed to 12 elders. Why? Because he had complained that the Lord was too much. When Esau despised his birthright and went for a party instead of his birthright, that was taken and given over to Jacob. Even though he cried tears later, he never came back to him. When Saul, the king, disobeyed God, and did not carry out the commands that God had sent him out to do. Samuel uses the same, same words that have been used on Queen Vashti. Your kingship has been given to another. When Elijah complained to God after a great successful ministry and said, I am ready to die, very soon, chariots of fire came and took Elijah and his position was given to Elisha. When Judas betrayed the trust that was accorded to him, in Acts chapter 1, the apostles gathered together and say, let's find another to take his place. There's another very interesting one that I had never seen until just recently. Peter was a Jew in whom there was no guile. But you remember Peter was the one that Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And to him was given the keys to lead the apostles in the spread of the gospel. Peter had great ethnic prejudices like the Kenyans. And God tried to deal with him on those prejudices by bringing down him to a trance and he saw this four square 
uh, what, what do you call it? Sheet. With all manner of animals in it. And he was told, Peter, rise up and eat. And he complained. I said, no, 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 I've never. Finally, he realized that God was telling him that there's no one that can be called unclean if God has reached out to them. He went, he was sent to the house of Cornelius. But that deliverance did not totally come to Peter. And so whenever he had opportunity, Peter would have difficulties eating with the Gentiles. Until even Paul had to rebuke him one time. When Peter could not fulfill that purpose, I believe God went out in Acts chapter 13 and said, separate for me Paul and Barnabas. And Peter's role was given to Paul. If you're talking about the New Testament church, you don't talk about Peter. You talk about Paul. It was given to another one better than he. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you. But she would not let me. And he wept over Forty years after he died and went to heaven. Totally destroyed. From AD 70, the temple was destroyed. The nation of Israel was obliterated from the face of the earth. If you think 400 years in Egypt was a long time, it was until 1948 that the nation of Israel was put on the face of the earth again. 1,900 years. God removed Jerusalem. The temple was removed. At the very site was built a mosque. It's called the Dome of the Rock. One of the most important mosques to the Muslim community. God found another one. The list continues. The list continues. When the bride of Christ refuses to go and do that which the king is calling them to do, he looks for another one better in his place. I read this with great sadness of heart. The gospel moved from Jerusalem because they rejected it and it went to Rome. When the Romans tried to institutionalize it, it moved to London. And the British did a great work of taking the gospel across the world. We are here courtesy of British missionaries. They did a great work. They too tried to institutionalize it. God looked for another. And the gospel moved to America. We are here courtesy of the North Americans. And some of them are here with us. They brought this gospel to us. They too have been moving around and beginning to play with the gospel. My fear is that it is going, the lamp is going to be removed and taken to another one. In fact, many missiologists say that that lamp has actually moved to Africa. But if the Africans play around with it, it's going to move elsewhere. God has no problems looking for another better than she. The nation of Kenya was the central hub of business in Africa for a very long time. When anybody wanted a place to do business, to do missionary work, to center their 
work in Africa, they chose Kenya. But we, like Queen Vashti, have played around with that favor. And this has been given to another one. We may cry, we may mourn, we may weep. But look at the nation of Rwanda and the nation of Burundi in East Africa. That's where the action is going. The Nigerians were given the same. They played around with it. Now look at the country of Ghana. That's where action is. The Zimbabweans were given in Southern Africa. They too played around with it. The thing has moved on to South Africa. They too are playing with it. There is always a move. And the good thing about a king is that when he looks, he calls out for virgins. They come flocking. Who doesn't want to be a queen? And so God has no problem about looking for another. He will get another one. Let me come closer. The church in Kenya, we have enjoyed great freedom. We have enjoyed great favor in this country. But unfortunately, we have celebrated. We have enjoyed the party. And when the king is calling us to take our rightful role, we are so busy with our party. And the king is not happy. He's burning with anger. Sitam. 50 years of God's favor. I've been a member of this congregation for the last over 20 something years. And God has given us a very special place. I have always been proud to be identified with Nairobi Pentecostal Church. But I'm afraid to say that it reached a point where it got to our heads. And I'm talking as a leader in Sitam. And I'm saying, if you are not careful, another will be looked for. We are enjoying with fellow women. Celebrating with other women. But God never called us to be like other women. God called us to be a special bride for him. We cannot go the way of the other churches. We cannot embrace some of their ways. God has given us a special position. And I'm not saying this for us to be proud. I'm saying because it is God's favor that he has brought upon us. And thank God for those of you who are part of bringing us this. May God help us that another is not found. It was never hard that people leave Satan to go to other churches. Actually, it has always been the other way around. But now I'm hearing those rumors. I'm hearing those rumors. Jesus spoke through John and said, Remember the past, where I brought you from. Because if you don't, I'm coming and I'm going to remove the lamp from its place. And when that happens, Queen Vashti's experience is worse. Finally, I want to talk about individuals. Because we can be here and talk about those many people. But one of the things that saddens my heart in this 21st century, as Christians who have been called by God to be part of his bride, is that we as believers, and I think this came out very clearly last night, we have chosen to celebrate in the parties and allow God's work to suffer. I want to talk especially to those of us who are professionals. Because this church is blessed 
with highly qualified, well-trained professionals. It is a blessing from God. But do you know, this church has to import pastors from other places. We have to get workers from other places. Where are our professionals? Who will say, the king has called. I'm going to leave all that I am doing and I'm going to answer his call. Where are the professionals who will abandon? I'm not being proud, but I say I was a trained architect. But when the king called, I had to leave that aside and come and say, yes, Lord. Where are we? Why should you, as a PhD holder, sit at our feet who have never seen the inside of school? Why can't you say, I am going to come with my high degree and qualification. I am going to preach this gospel in a manner that those who sit there will say, there stands a preacher of God's word. Part of the reason that Paul was so successful is because he was a highly trained person in the secular world. When God converted him and he began to use that knowledge in the kingdom, he could go before kings and argue his case. Very logically, very systematically. Has God been calling you, but you are busy with the party? You are so busy and you are saying, and when we, the report comes, they say, he has refused. By the way, I've heard those ones. In our interviews, we interview an individual they are very qualified, but they refuse. People now want to serve the Lord for what they can get. What is the package? What is the package? What are you offering? Do you know? God has no problem. He will pick another one better than yourself. Let me close this. We are told in chapter 2, verse 30, 1 to 3. Later when the anger of the king Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Vashti. I don't know why he remembered Vashti. <laughs> And what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. And then verse 4. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. You know, it seems like the king was missing the queen. And he remembered it is not good for a man to be alone. <laughs> but he, before he could finalize his thoughts of what could be done, advisors came and said, King, don't worry. We will sort you out. There are many virgins in this country who are ready to serve. Forget about Vashti. And so the kings, this pleased the king to replace Vashti. But yet again, here is now where we see God's promotion coming into play. Esther is picked under the most unfavorable circumstances. Let me just give you an example. A widest search is made throughout the kingdom. How many girls were in that kingdom? I don't know. <laughs> Commissions are set up in every province. 
to select the best in their own province. And in verse 8 of chapter 2, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Now, you need to remember that Esther is a foreigner. Remember that Esther is an orphan. So there's no one, no father, leave alone Godfather, no father to speak for her. But yet, Esther is shortlisted and given special treatment. Verse 8, the Bible says, she won the favor of Haggai, the attendant. Then verse 15 says, when the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abishai, Abihai rather, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than the, what Haggai, the queen's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Now, again, as I said, this is the kind of passage that you would spend hours and hours on. But we do not have those hours. This girl is picked in the middle of nowhere. But she keeps getting favor with the people. Now, verse 17 says, when the king now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women and she won his favor and approval more than any of the virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet. Esther, for Esther, all his nobles and the officials. He proclaimed a holiday. This king loved things, eh? throughout the province and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Aye, those are difficult words. And Esther ends up being the queen. Now the question is, how did this happen? I want to say that God's invisible hand was on Esther. When the invisible hand is on you, you will be picked like a needle from the haystack. Like a magnet that is put down and attracts iron. And will pick a pin out of other rubbish. God's hand will pick you. If God's favor is upon you. And so God picked Esther out of nowhere. And made her to be the queen. However, we also need to note that Esther had to beautify herself. Had to look nice because, let me tell you, contrary to public opinion, only God looks on the heart. <laughs> the rest of us look on the outside. So if you don't beautify yourself, you too. Only God looks on the outside, on the inside. So she beautified herself and the king noticed her. The bride of Christ must beautify itself. Because he is coming for a bride that is without wrinkle or blemish. If we do not prepare ourselves, we will miss it. God picked on Esther and promoted him. The other person who is promoted is Mordecai. While trying to monitor Esther's progress, 
Mordecai sat outside the king's gate. There he heard of a conspiracy to assassinate the king, possibly because of choosing a foreigner to be his queen. If you thought those things are ours only, they were there all along. So in verse 21, the Bible says, During that time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Big, Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who got the doorway, became angry and uh, conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. How can he take a foreigner to be the queen instead of our own? Then Mordecai reported this matter to the king, and in verse 23, when the matter was investigated, it was found to be true, and the two officials were hanged. And the Bible says, all this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. The matter was closed, the matter was forgotten, but I want to tell you, God's invisible hand kept that book open. And I want to close by telling you, in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. God says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and your love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So, God's blessings are for us to enjoy and not to boast about. When we abuse those blessings, however, and privileges, the invisible hand will remove us and put another in our place. No matter how disadvantaged you are, God can pick you from where you are and put you into royalty. Every good deed whether big or small, it is of the Lord. I want us to pray as we close over what we have heard this morning. I don't know what you have heard. But as I said, as I read this story, the story of Queen Vashti struck my heart. And like Paul, I said, Lord, may it not be that after I have preached to everyone, I myself may be cast out. I don't know whether that is your story. That it will not be said of you, let another one be put in his place. Let us pray.